If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Tomorrow, 3 o'clock p.m., Hamilton Ticats at Montreal Alouettes. Season on the line. Every, listen, every time we talk about the Ticats between now and whenever the Grey Cup, well, when the Grey Cup is, anytime we mention them, season is on the line. But today, when the starting lineups came out, wow, did not expect to see this one coming. Let's bring in Rick Zamperin, the host of Good Morning Hamilton and of the fifth quarter. And well, he does everything else around here too. He is, he is Mr. 900 CHML. Rick, how are you today? Hey, good. How are you? I am stunned. I did not expect to see the starting lineup come out and see Matt Schultz under center, not Bo Levi Mitchell. Well, I certainly didn't expect to see that too, although I'm not a hundred percent surprised given the fact that head coach Rolando Steinauer earlier this week said they would use two quarterbacks. Although in saying that, I didn't think Schiltz's name would be on top of Mitchell's name when the depth chart came out today. Do we know, is there an injury or is this purely just a hunch that he's the guy? Well, this could be a couple things. Number one, I don't think it's an injury. Uh, Bo participated in practice uh, this week, uh, so I don't think it's that. This could be gamesmanship in which a coach will list you know, a particular player in a starting position and then, whoops, by kickoff, that's not exactly the case. Or the coaching staff has come together with the game plan to say, you know what, let's start Schiltz and then throw in Bo in the next series. And not necessarily to see which one does better, but they're two very different quarterbacks. Mm. Uh, Matthew is much more versatile in terms of his running ability. And Bo, in in his veteran leadership and, and what he's been able to accomplish, uh, has seen and pretty much done it all. But they are two skill set wise very different. So this might be the game plan to say, let's throw Montreal off their game. Uh, that's a tall order because Montreal is a very good team defensively. So it's going to be interesting to see how they deploy both of these guys tomorrow. Yeah. Very uh, 1980s Argos Holloway and Barnes-ish, whatever you want to say. It <laughs> yeah. is, uh, I mean, it, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, the CFL um, allows for two quarterbacks on the field. So I've still been waiting for that moment when you put both those guys on there and, and say, all right, now guess where the snap is going and adjust your line accordingly. That, I don't think they're going that far yet, but it is, um, you know, I just, I, I didn't, I, I thought for sure that when Bo Levi Mitchell was healthy with the money they paid him coming in that he would start. And then if it didn't work out, you go to the other guys. I just, and maybe you're exactly right. And, and I guess I'm guessing you probably are. But I just thought there's no way they're not starting Bo Levi Mitchell if he's healthy. Here we are. Well, and and that's a great point because here's a guy who's getting upwards of $500,000 a year who was brought in four games like tomorrow, right? He's won two great cups. He's been in four of them. He's been a most outstanding player. He's one of the all-time winningest quarterbacks. This is why they went out and got him because there was some instability at the quarterback position over the last couple of years. And, and the Ticats thought this would be an upgrade. And fortunately, Mitchell has barely been on the field. He has made six starts this season due to injury. And while I think he's 100% healthy, and even after the last game, I thought, you know, it was a meaningless game against Montreal. There's no doubt in my mind that Mitchell's going to be the starting quarterback. And then, you know, come Tuesday, when Steinhauer said, we're, we're going to use both quarterbacks, now that kind of en- that kind of entered my mind to say, okay, this this could be a possibility. What we're seeing in the depth chart, even then, though, I thought, okay, Mitchell's going to start. They'll sprinkle in Schultz and see mm-hmm. how it goes. But it looks like it's going to be the reverse. Uh, the uh, the flip side or the other option is that Orlando Steinauer has just 
uh, pick your word, um, you know, the things that are brass, because I mean, if you, <laughs> if you have a guy that you spent this much money on and you as the coach are simply deciding, you know, he hasn't played a lot this year and I think Matt Schiltz is just playing better right now. I mean, good for him for making that call, but if it doesn't go right, ee, I mean, it's, it's a very gutsy call if that's the, if that's what's behind the decision. Yeah, that would be, that would be very interesting to see if Matt Schiltz starts this game because Coach O thought he was the best, you know, option. He gave this team the best chance to win. And when you're a coach, no matter what the sport, you play the players you think are going to bring home the W. Um, so if the thought process is, you know, Schiltz is playing better, he gives us the better chance to win, even though, you know, the game plan is to to use both guys, you know, starting one over the other, I think sends a message to both of them. And then uh, unless he's, you know, sat them both down in the same room to say, all right, listen, this is what we're going to say. And this is what we're going to show, but we're going to do the exact opposite. I'm very intrigued to see how it all goes down. Do you think that it, I mean, look, at this point of the season, every team wants to win. You want to win a championship. So it's not about... Um, that, but do you think there's any different situation for Hamilton hosting the gray cup that makes it more desperate? I mean, maybe it's all just fully desperate at hundred percent desperate at all times in the playoffs, but is it different when you're Hamilton and you've got to get to that game? I, I certainly think, you know, it's a win at all costs for every team at this point of the season. And I think organizationally, there's a lot of pressure. But when when you know when you, when you talk to the players, they definitely want to play in the home Grey Cup. Whether or not they put added pressure on themselves in advance of a game, I, I don't know. Maybe if it's the Grey Cup game, maybe because you're playing at home. This is it. This this is the last game of the season. And if you win, you win the shiny trophy. And if you lose, well, it's it's a it's a tire fire. It's a disaster. You want to you know just go home and sulk for a week, but. I think for game number one and maybe even the East final, the, the pressure isn't as huge, in my opinion, as it would be in advance of a Grey Cup at home. Yeah. I, I mean, we saw it last time and it wasn't the full thing. I mean, because of COVID, we saw what a difference it made, I think, having Hamilton in that game. I mean, it was just, it, mm -hmm. it was, it was an enormous thing. And having Hamilton in this game would absolutely, in my mind, make a difference as far as the city's connection to this and all the stuff that's going on around it. I, I maybe you'd agree, maybe you disagree, but I just think that if, if the Ticats are in this game, all of the other stuff becomes much, much bigger. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think this is going to be a phenomenal showcase of football and entertainment and the whole kit and caboodle. But now you add the hometown team that hasn't won since God was a boy. And it is going to, it, I mean, this is a powder keg of emotion that could explode in a few weeks time. So yeah, if, if the Ticats are playing at home, Grey Cup 110, my gosh, I mean, th this city is going to be ready to, especially after the COVID Grey Cup, this city is going to be ready to explode in joy if they end up winning mm -hmm. that game. I am not going to ask you your prediction. I'm asking you for a prediction though. And it goes back to what we started this conversation with. How many series does Matt Schiltz play before we see Bo Levi Mitchell? I think it's one. One. You think on That's the second, second guess. possession that, that, that Bo Levi comes in. All right. We will we see. We shall see. We shall see. Uh, that, you know what? I'm not even going to make a prediction because I think you could very, very well be correct. And this is just to throw Montreal's planning into a little bit of disarray. It may very well be that. I do not know, but something to watch for, for sure. Uh, that is Saturday at three o'clock and then the fifth quarter, a playoff version of the fifth quarter. So extra lively. And still the same cost to call in. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Rick Zamper will be hosting that. Rick, thanks for doing this. You got it, Scott. Take care. 
Hallmark the Love Club Mums at the Mulberry Coffee House and Electric Diner, which is just the latest of the Hallmark and and its like movies to be filmed in this city. Uh, Hallmark Christmas movies, we are like ground zero for Hallmark Christmas movies. You watch a Hallmark Christmas movie, chances are you're going to spot something local in it. We have been the backdrop for Take Me Back for Christmas, The Christmas Cure, Sensational Christmas, Christmas on Mistletoe Lake. That was my personal favorite. In in Love by Christmas, I-N-N, love play on words. A Christmas Break, Christmas in Toyland, The Enchanted Christmas Cake, Many, 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 many more. Kim Adraves is the acting manager for creative industries and cultural development in the planning and economic development division for the city of Hamilton. She joins me now. Kim, how are you? Hi, great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Which one was yours? Of all the Hallmark movies, which was your favorite of the Christmas movies? <laughs> um, <laughs> I know it's so hard to pick. They're, they're so much fun. You know what? I think I just love watching them all and doing a little bit of Hamilton locations bingo, <laughs> trying to spot all the locations as they pop up. That's actually a good game. You guys should m- create a game like that on your phone <laughs> and uh, it would, you could make some money on that one, have an app for that because I, it is amazing how many of them are here. My question, every time I do see my people in my family who have it on TV, I'll, I'm not going to th- throw them under the bus by saying who, but they know who they are. Um, <laughs> I, I do spot Hamilton locations and I'm always wondering why are we so popular for, I mean, I know we do very well for movies and TV anyway, but why this mm. particular thing? Well, you know what? It's it's fantastic because here in Southern Ontario, we have a lot of companies that produce them. And so what's really great is that, um, with you know we have our we have these local companies hiring local people who are behind the camera who are doing all the work and with them working in the greater Toronto Hamilton area when they're working outside of the GTA they actually get a little bit of a bonus on their tax credits so with Hamilton being a mid-sized city that qualif- that they qualify for this regional bonus and all the fantastic locations we have and then having some infrastructure and crew and experience as well it's just a natural fit. And so we're, we tend to do really well with this type of film. Is it something, do we have something in our buildings or, uh, I mean, I know Dundas is one of the places and there's others, but I mean, mm-hmm. downtown Dundas, for example, is, I mean, there's been in a million of them and I'm wondering, it's got to have something to do with the style of the architecture or the town or like it, we, we must have enough of those places that seem to fit with what the traditional view of Christmas is, whatever that is. Yeah, absolutely. I think what we do really well in Hamilton is the diversity. And so when you have these films, I mean, oftentimes the the kind of the joke is the plot is that someone works in the big city and then falls in love with a small town. And in Hamilton, you, you can get those big city looks and we have a great vibrant downtown, but then we also have so many small town looks as well. And we have agricultural looks, so it can be on a farm. We've got fantastic buildings like Dundurn Castle that can, I mean, it's, it's literally going to play as a castle in an upcoming holiday film this year. So Definitely the the variety of architecture and the variety of types of looks that we have in Hamilton are a huge draw. Kim, do you and other people from the city have to go out and chase these or are you <laughs> constantly being called saying, can we please film here? 
We're really lucky in that we do kind of have a lot of business just come to us, but we do try to actively entice it as well. It's so great for our economy. It contributed $72 million in direct spend last year. And that's without any sort of multiplier for the jobs or the businesses that support film. So we try to maintain good relationships and make sure that we are working with the Ontario Film Commission to draw that business and keep it coming to Hamilton. How many phone calls um, do you get? I was going to say a month, uh, who knows, but how <laughs> many phone calls you get from people? Because it's pretty obvious when they're filming a Christmas movie in July or August, because there's snow everywhere. And how often do you get calls at the film office going, what are they doing? What are they making? What's that? What's that movie? <laughs> we do, it's pretty regular. And what's fun is a lot of the time people will know that their favorite show or some movies that they've seen have filmed in Hamilton. And that's when it's really fun for us to be able to play tour guide to some extent and say, oh, you know, you love this movie. It filmed a lot in Dundas. Why don't you go check out the Dundas BIA and you can get coffee over at Detour and, and you can go to Quatrefoil and you can go to the gift shops and you'll be following along the same path as your characters did in that episode. So we welcome those calls. They're really fun. We, we can't necessarily say what's filming right this second, but we can always look back and help people plan little itineraries to enjoy seeing the sights from the big screen. Do we, um, with, with the development of a new studio that is, uh, you know, all that stuff that's happening in the city, is that expanding it or have we kind of reached maximum as far as how much we can handle in a year? I think there's always room for expansion and the studios definitely help. We have a, we have a couple in Hamilton right now. We have Hamilton Film Studios and Bayfront Studios and we have standing sets at Digital Canaries and these all help a lot. And I, I think there's definitely room for more. Um, what's really great is when a studio is built, then you, you have a lot of room to do stuff obviously in studio. And so that increases our capacity compared to just strictly having people filming on location. Now, how many times have you heard that a film is being made and talked your way into being an extra in the background that we see, <laughs> we see Kim the Caroler or Kim the Snowball Thrower or something? How many times? I haven't. Uh, done it personally yet, but if you're eagle-eyed, you can probably spot a couple City Hamilton people here and there right? in certain projects. <laughs> and and definitely, I always encourage people who are interested to um, check out resources like Lights Camera Hamilton or other groups. And here and there, there are opportunities to apply as a background performer. Well, I'm, I'm looking on the Hallmark Christmas Channel or Hallmark Channel, whatever. Apparently their countdown to Christmas began October the 20th and runs through Christmas. So surely <laughs> if you have nothing to do with your time, go on, find a show, find a Christmas movie, and probably you will see Hamilton that Kim arranged to get shot here. That is Kim Adrivez, <laughs> Acting Manager for Creative Industries and Cultural Development in the Planning and Economic Development Division for the City of Hamilton. You must have a fold-out business card to get all that in <laughs> on there, but I <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Take care. It, it is. I, I really, you know, that's a really good idea that she came up with. Maybe she came up with it here. Maybe she said it before, but an app where you can sp go around and just spot the, the spots that are filmed here. Or if a movie is on right now that you go, oh yeah, that was Hamilton. Sure it was. Yeah. That looks like Hamilton. Sure it was. Cause there have been so many of these, I mean, we, we've had all the, all the other stuff as well. We've had big movies and, you know, big Hollywood stuff and everything else. Th those come here all the time, but somehow we have become known as what, I mean, BC has a ton of it as well, but BC and us have become known 
as the Christmas movie, the Hallmark Christmas movie place. And, you know, we can laugh and we do about the repeated theme and plot of every single Hallmark movie. Hey, you know what? It's, she said, what, $72 million, the, the film industry for this. We'll, we'll take repetitious plots and the same story over and over again with new titles. If it brings that much money into the city every single time. Well, some were born to run. Some of us were born to move at a languid speed. (laughs) Some of us were born to keep our heart rates down so we don't, you know, exhaust ourselves, but not my next guest. My next guest is not just a guy who's behind the Hamilton Road to Hope Marathon is a man who once upon a time, not that long ago, did three Ironman triathlons back to back to back in three consecutive days. Some might suggest he had suffered a head injury before that would make him do such a thing, but no, no, he's just a really enthusiastic distance runner and uh, running enthusiast. His name is Gord Pauls. Gord, how are you? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that fine introduction, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I am always amazed when I see you and others, especially this time of year when it's cold out, still out there doing it. It's not bad today, but. Oh, uh, this is a great running weather. Well, sure. yeah. I mean, I, that's what I was thinking that you guys have lucked out. Now it's looking a little chilly Sunday, but still this is uh, when you consider what it could be in November, this looks pretty good for a Road to Hope Marathon. That's right. No, we can't complain. It's, it's a great weekend and uh, it's going to be off. This is the 25th year of the Hamilton Road to Hope Marathon. So it's been around a while now. Why, why do you guys do it this time of year? Is there a reason? Um, well, originally it was because it was a weekend where there wasn't any other marathons in this area. That makes and sense. Was, yeah. We found it, it was a good race and it's race. It was, uh, just kind of the last race where you can qualify for the Boston marathon. And it has become known. It is actually the fastest Boston qualifier in all of Canada. Really? Why? Race, uh, um, because we, we get the highest percentage of runners that qualify for Boston here because it's a fast course. So we got runners coming from every province in Canada is represented this weekend. We have over 15 states from the U.S. are here. We have people from Kenya, Norway, India, Australia, Spain, Mexico. So we, um, yeah, it's a great race. People come from everywhere to do this event. And we also fill every hotel. So the city of Hamilton and the hotel people, they love us. No kidding. No kidding. So the fact that this is the last qualifier for Boston, does that add... Not necessarily I'm talking about in your running strategy, but does it add a level of desperation, I guess, to people who are really trying to get in that I have to be great this weekend? Well, to some of them, yes. If they've, you know, done another race or they've done, uh, you know, like Toronto a, you know, a month ago and uh, didn't quite make it, they're back here to try it again. So yeah, it's a little bit of desperation. Whenever you do a marathon, it's a little bit desperation, <laughs> I think, just to finish it. So I don't, yeah, I don't doubt that. Now it's not just the full marathon, although that's for the sort of elite of the elites, I guess, but you have a full marathon, half marathon, 10K, 5K, elite 5K. This thing has, this thing has really grown. You talk about 25 years. Where did it start? What was it? What was it when it first started 25 years ago? Uh, Well, we started it in Westdale by the Westdale High School. It was a five and 10K. It was just uh, kind of a fundraiser that we started back in 98 and it's been growing since then. Um, and what we're really proud of this year, we're having this elite 5K. We actually have uh, three or four Olympian runners coming. And last year, this uh, the lady, Lucia, oh, what did I do with her name? Uh, her name is uh, Lucia Stanford. She was trying to set a Canadian record, and she missed by four seconds. Oh. So she is back this year to attempt that again. 
And we have an 11-year-old girl who just set the world record in a 5K of 1728 in Niagara a few weeks ago. And now she's back to try to see if she can even better that. So this, uh, this elite race is really something to watch. We have about 50, 50 elite runners from across Canada uh, trying to set the Canadian record. So that, that's a great race just to come and watch. It, it only takes them like 13 minutes and they're finished. So you got to look quick. Yeah, no kidding. How, how, how are you dealing with this? If you are a, you know, sort of, uh, middle of the pack runner and you just get blown by, by an 11 year old who, who <laughs> wipes you out. You're like, man, why am I doing this? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that, that's the elite case. Elite race runs by itself. And so after they're finished, then us regular people just go out there and we do the 5k run. So we don't run with these athletes. We get to stand and watch them and be in awe at the speed with, that, that they run at. No kidding. No kidding. I was the, uh, you would know the name. I'm drawing a blank on the name, but it was just very recently that the new world record in the Olympic, in the, uh, in the marathon was set. Uh, yes. in Chicago marathon, two hours and 35 seconds. Um, yeah. His name too, uh, uh, Nance of Kenya. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have some from Kenya now. I don't think we'll quite match that time. No, uh, nobody the, will. The top winner should be just over two hours. So uh, it's still, it's amazing how the speed these, these, these people can run at. So it's, it's something to watch. Is that something that, you know, forever, the, the idea of breaking the four minute mile was the thing. Like it hung out there until Roger Bannister did it. The four minute mile was the thing everyone was going for. Is that two hour marathon now the same kind of thing that that is the un, unreachable mark and yet it looks like it's right there? Yeah. 10 years ago, we, it, we all thought it was unreachable. Uh, but as they edge closer and closer, two hours, 35 seconds, it's now I'd say it's reachable. Uh, certainly won't be by me or you, but <laughs> there'll be someone who's who's going to break that, I'm sure, in the next few years. And uh, that'll be something. It's, it's just, I mean, that's doing 5Ks in under uh, 15 minutes and putting eight, eight of those together in a row. So it's 42.2 kilometers. So that's just, it's just mind-boggling how fast they can run. It is. There was a, something on, uh, there was a setup. Somebody had put the setup and they posted the video online and they set this like treadmill kind of thing to the speed that you would have to run consistently yeah. in order to do it. And then people could go on and see how long they could go with that. And people were going for 20 seconds and gassing out. It's just, it's, a, it's an unbelievable athletic feat to it, it contemplate is. that. Now, if yeah. you're, if, Gord, if you said that your track and your race is one of the fastest anywhere, would that not be an inducement to somebody who was in that range of maybe getting to two hours to try and come here and give it a go? Well, they might, but unfortunately, we don't pay the kind of money that Chicago and New York and uh, these people pay for them to come and run. Uh, you know, our winners get a few thousand. They run uh, Chicago, you probably got about 75,000 to 150,000. So Yeah, but if you've got yeah. a really fast track and you could get that two-hour marathon, well, you know like what? we to them to come here. That would be pretty pretty interesting. Um, but maybe one day we will. We'll work on that, Scott, and see what, see what will happen. Yeah. What, by the way, uh, you know, what makes, when you say it's one of the fastest courses, what makes it a fast course? Cause it, you're, you're doing a loop, right? It's not like you yeah, can't be always good. downhill. What's, what makes it fast? It's just, it's flat, which is a key. And Chicago too is one of the fastest because that is a, that's a flat course. And this course is flat. It runs along the, the Lake Trail, like Confederation Park and along the trail. So it's a, it's a very flat course. Uh, and usually the last seven or eight kilometers, the wind is behind you. So hopefully that happens this weekend. And that just helps you to come home fast and keep your, your pace going. You can keep a much steadier pace going when it's a, a flat course. 
Uh, we got to run, but you're, uh, you, you mentioned that you're sold out and you guys raise tons of money out of this for charity, right? Yeah. A lot of it, we have about uh, 10 to 15 charities involved in this. And usually we raise about 250 to $300,000 every year. Um, so it's a great race for that event. And you know, we just want to put a quick shout out to the city of Hamilton, tourism, Hamilton, the staff at Kent Federation Park are fabulous to us. And the Hamilton police, they help keep the runners all safe. So without these folks, we couldn't do this event. So thanks to them all. And thanks for having me on, Scott. I appreciate it. No, it's uh, it's a great, it's a great local event every year. And uh, one of these years, um, I'm not going to do it, but Ben has said that he'll give it a go because, uh, you know, as I say, I, this is not, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know, Gord, I, I, all you guys who do this stuff, I am in always impressed and always amazed because I just suffer that when I run, I just suffer. And I watch you and I go, how do you not look like you look like you're enjoying yourself. It's just not oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I just, the race and competition, the camaraderie. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I love it. I used to love it. You get to 35 K when everything hurts and you go, okay, let's find out what I'm made of. And, uh, you push on to the end. So yeah, it's a little bit sick, but that's just what we like, like to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Road to Hope this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. The marathon is on Sunday. Gord Pauls, really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. If you live along the route that the LRT is apparently going to be constructed upon, there are new rules for you, it seems. You are going to need a permit from Metrolinx if you want to build an addition or move your shed or dig a pool or pretty much anything else on your property. If you are looking to change any structure on your property, you are now going to have to get this special permit to allow you permission. The rule is to prevent conflict with the LRT construction that is coming up. But is this, is it understandable? And also, is it fair? Let's bring in Bob Asadurian. He is with Triple R Incorporated, host of Just Ask Bob on Cable 14. Bob, how are you today? Excellent, Scott. How are you? And hello, Hamilton. Always good to hear from you, Bob. I'm doing great. Thank you. So, We'll go to two, there's two parts to that question. So is this, first of all, is this understandable? Is this something that makes sense to you? Well, I'm never one to defend bureaucracy, but in this case, to be honest, it is fair. It is understandable. Why? Why? To protect the homeowners, business owners from, you know, what we call a construction, not building smart, you know, building or extending or repairing, and then potentially having to tear that apart if it interferes with the rules and regulations of the LRT on the corridor. And you're right. I mean, it, certainly you don't want people who put in a pool, let's say, or put in a fence or whatever else to find out a month or a year from now that that does, that that's not going to be able to stay there because something else is going to be in the way and you have to tear it all up. That's an expensive thing to do if you're yes, suddenly yes, caught. Yes. I mean, it makes sense. You know, take, take a few extra steps but build it right, build it legally, build it smart. Nothing's worse than, you know, extending a deck and then having to take it apart. That lumber's garbage. You spend all your money all over again. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's an inconvenience. But my question is, and I've read and studied this as carefully as I could, in my experience as a contractor, city insures 10 days, 10 business days to approve a permit. Now, in this case, the LRT, the people are uh, estimating 20 days to issue this permit. I am hoping, hoping that they stick to that because that's the big, you know, that's the big flag here. That's the big issue. Are they going to take weeks? Are they going to take months? You know, bureaucracy in this, it's unknown waters. Are they going to stick to 20 days? That I think is somewhat reasonable. They can make it even less, I would hope. 
Well, Bob, the, the, the part when I said at the top, I said, okay, so does this make sense? You've answered, yes, it makes sense. Is it fair? And the reason I asked the, is it fair question is if I move next door to an airport, I don't think that I have the right to then complain about the noise. I have chosen to move there and that's my decision. And I knew what I was getting into when I went there. But correct. if I live out in the country somewhere and the city decides we are going to put an airport on the land next to you, I think you do have reason to complain because that was not the deal when you built your house. So is it fair that someone who is living along this stretch who may have plans for something is now in a position that they weren't before the rules have changed underneath their feet. Well, it's sad. I mean, when you put it that way, no, it's not fair. But I mean, I can remember how many debates went on this. I don't know if you're aware, I ran for city council in 2014 and I was pro BRT, uh, or something to that effect, rapid bus enhancement with the HSR. And I was opposed to LRT. So this has gone through several councils. This has gone back and forth. I mean, it's, it's tricky. People way, way back that bought the homes to their perspective. No, it's not fair. I hope the compromise can be 20 days or less. I would like to see Metrolinx compete with City Hall, so to speak, building departments. I'd like them to get it down to 10 days or less because then as long as the homeowner can show the plans, this is how we're going to extend our deck. This is where we want to put our pool. I think they should cut it in half to about 10 days to let the homeowners know yes or no. And even in that case, if it's a no, I'm sure a lot of feelings will be hurt. Mm. What, what I don't understand, and, and here you can clarify for me as well, is that one of the things, one of the examples that was given was don't put in, you might have to do this to put in a pool. Well, I get that if you want to do something on your front yard, which is where the LRT is going to be, I don't think the LRT is running through anybody's backyard. All the houses yeah, are that facing. that confuses me too. You have a point with that. Yes, yes. So if, if you do something that extends your patio on the front of your house into, uh, you know, construction area where the LRT would be, I get it. But if I put a pool in my backyard, none of the LRT is running in my backyard. Why would they have to have access or, or check off or sign off on my backyard? Yeah, you, have, you hit the nail on the head there. I, I, when I was reading about it today, that's, that's what I thought as well. Decks, anything out front, anything, you know, egressing outwards from the property line. The part about the pool makes no sense to me. The only thing I can think is the people at the LRT are casting a wide net, so to speak, to try to encompass everything they can think of. But that's not right. That's definitely not fair if they're overdoing it, so to speak. So time will tell. If people are applying for pools and each and every one is stamped back, no problem, no problem, no problem, and all the problems seem to arise with building off the front of the home, then they were just casting a wide net on this to you know, bother people further than they should be. The only other thing that I wondered about with that was anytime you're going to be doing the kind of digging that is going to be involved in this, there's going to be enormous amounts of vibrations. And I wonder if the, the only thing I could think was, you know, don't put in something that could crack or that could be damaged because when we bring in our heavy, heavy equipment to dig up the road, everything is going to shake. You have a point there. Putting in a pool, they, they may, and I mean, time will tell. They may notify the homeowner, yes, you can put in your pool, but after we're done the digging, the excavation and all the vibrations, I see your point there, and that is in fact correct. They may tell people it's not that you can't put in a pool, put it in later. They're possibly worried about the vibrations. I'd be worried if as a homeowner, more about the vibrations and potential damage to my foundation. Well, I yeah. Advise, I would advise all the people on the corridor, Take before, during, and after photos. Have documentation. 
what condition of the structure of your home, namely the foundation, and then are there any, is there any detriment to it? Are there any cracks or issues with it all along the construction period? And then they'll have to, LRT will have to address that, hopefully. Yeah, that, that is a really interesting one. You know, we're going to follow up on that one because that seems to be, to me, that's one of the real questions. I, when I, my wife and I were first married, we lived on a busier street in the city and there was construction on the street and we had a crack as a result. And the construction company, when I said, what are you going to do about it? They said, well, sue us, go ahead, take your chances. And wow, I'm not in a position wow. to do that, but yeah. you know what, I, if, if what we're talking about with all of this digging, how many homes along there are going to be just shaken and shaken and shaken that may have these kind of things, hopefully. And well, as I say, we're going to follow up on this because hopefully there is a plan that if that were to happen, that somebody can get looked after by somebody, Metrolinks, the and city, quickly, the province. And quickly and not uh, building a wall up to them and later, later, later and delay, delay, delay. That's a big issue in construction or in your case where they said, sue me, let's hope the LRT handles this respectfully. That's the key honorably and respectfully for all the homeowners along the corridor yeah, and thir- business owners. 3,500 properties along the kilometer, uh, 14 kilometer route is what they say. Uh, Bob Asadori, and you can see him on, uh, just ask Bob on cable 14. Bob, always appreciate you coming on doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. This is the weekend you get an extra hour of sleep. And I have always been a big fan of an extra hour of sleep. I don't know about you, as we get older, as I get older, that extra hour of sleep, my goodness, it is, it is a, it is a beautiful thing. I... There was a time in my life, maybe like you, maybe you share this, that the idea of a nap sounded horrible. Now a nap is a glorious thing. So getting an extra hour of sleep, I would think on its face sounds wonderful. And yet we hear, and the reason we get the extra hour is because of daylight savings time. We hear this is not really all that good for you. This whole daylight savings time thing, more and more experts are saying, bad for your health. Why? Let us bring in Patricia Lakin-Thomas. She is a chronobiologist at York University. She joins us now. Thank you for doing this today. Hi, Scott. Glad to be with you. I, as I was just saying in the intro, I love getting an extra hour of sleep every fall, but I keep reading that it's not good for me to be in, and everyone else to be in these daylight saving time changes. Why not? Well, the fall is actually uh, not a problem. As you said, we're going to get an extra hour of sleep, and who doesn't need that? We're all chronically sleep-deprived. The problem is that you lost an hour of sleep in the spring. So the big problem tends to be the switch in the spring from standard time that we've been on through the winter to daylight saving time that we go on in the summer. And that's when you're going to be switching away from what's a better time for your body clock, which is standard time, and we switch into daylight saving time over the summer. And we can have um, acute problems when we do that switch in the spring. People will find it's a lot easier in the fall, Mm. partly because you're going to be gaining an hour of sleep and partly because you're going to be going back to a time that is closer to your body time where the sun is going to be better aligned with our social clock, that is the clock on the wall that 
tells us when we have to get up and go to work and go to school. So there usually aren't as many acute problems in the fall when we switch back to standard time. But even when we have the switch in the spring, and I, and I mean, I understand your point exactly, but even when we make that switch, does it not just make us tired for a day or so, and then we adjust and get on with it and are, and we're back to normal? Well, it doesn't actually work that way. The acute problems, things like increases in car accidents, increases in um, heart attacks or strokes that we can see a statistically significant increase for a few days after the time change in the spring. Those do tend to go away uh, after a few days because the uh, initial shock of the switch, uh, we do adapt a bit, but we don't really adapt very well in the long term because we're moving away from the time at which our body clock is aligned um, best with our social clock. So our body clock um, is reset by the sun, and it really needs morning light. It needs the sunrise to set. And we know that this is the natural way for humans to behave. If you look at uh, people in societies that don't have access to electric light, they tend to wake up with the sunrise. And they'll stay up after dark at night, but then they wake up with the sun, and that's what our body naturally mm. wants to do. When we're on standard time in the winter, uh, the sunrise is closer to our social clock that tells us when we have to get up, and so our body time is closer to our social clock. In the spring, we're going to move away from that, and you really can't adjust because your body clock keeps wanting to follow the sun, even though the clock on the wall says it. You have to get up at a different time. So it's, we don't ever really adjust to, to daylight saving time because of that. This doesn't really apply to us, but as you're talking, a weird question came to mind, which is what about those people who live in parts of the world where it is like Iceland, for example, where it is light all year, you know, for the whole 24 hours, basically at certain times of year or dark for most of it. Does that completely screw them up then? Well, it can, yes. <laughs> that can be a very hard environment to live in. The further north you go, the less important time zones become and the less important daylight saving and standard time become. Um, and they have to deal with uh, with that. They will have some issues that they just have to have to learn how to um, get it dark enough so that you can go to sleep at the right time. Um, and um, that's a whole new set of problems that, that is uh, even more extreme than what we deal with with our time zone switches. Is, is what we're going through then with daylight saving time essentially jet lag only for everybody? That's exactly right. We call it social jet lag. Instead of flying across a time zone in a jet, which is where the name came from, we are deliberately setting our social clocks, the clock on the wall, we're deliberately setting it an hour off from where our bodies would like it to be. So we're deliberately jet lagging ourselves when we don't need to do that. And um, the consensus among medical professionals is more and more of that we really should get rid of this whole daylight saving time thing. Not only do we have the acute problems of switching twice a year, but if we went to if we went to a, a year-round time, 
we wouldn't have those problems of the switching. But then the question is which one to switch to. And it's very clear that we should be switching to standard time year-round so that um, we can most closely align with the sun. Because if we switch to daylight saving time, it's like we're going to just deliberately jet lag ourselves Mm. permanently all year-round. And is this what we, and I hear this phrase all the time, and I don't even know if it's a real thing, but the circadian rhythms, is that what we're talking about? Oh, it's definitely a real thing. Okay. It's what I study in my laboratory. Well, then it's a real thing. Okay. <laughs> Many other people study that. In fact, I'm a member of the Canadian Society for Research on Biological Rhythms, um, and we uh, study circadian rhythms, which are daily clocks. You have a clock in your brain which runs on a approximately 24-hour day. And it sends signals out all over your body to uh, make all of your bodily rhythms rhythmic. So your um, uh, gut and your liver, your immune system, everything in your body runs on a 24-hour clock that's coordinated. They all have clocks individually all over your body. All your cells do have their own internal clocks, but they all are coordinated by the clock in the brain, and the clock in the brain is set by light. And because we run a little bit slow, so if you put people in like bunkers where they never see the outside uh, time and they never have watches and they just run on their own internal time, they're a little bit longer than 24 hours. Hmm. And that means we need light in the morning to reset our clocks and make us run a little bit faster so we can actually be coordinated with a 24-hour day. That's why sunlight in the morning is so important to us because our internal circadian clock is a little bit slow and we've got to speed it up by getting light in the morning. And what happens with daylight saving time is we're putting that morning light at the wrong time. And so we're trying to wake up at a time when our bodies just aren't ready for it. It is uh, it's a fascinating topic that, uh, that this can have such an impact, but it, it really is. Uh, Patricia Lakin-Thomas from York University, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Every single day of the year is Hamilton Day here on 900 CHML. However... There is only one official Hamilton Day, and that is this weekend. Saturday is Hamilton Day in the city where, well, let me bring in Greg Dunnett. He's the CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. He'll tell us what it's all about. Greg, how are you today? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you? And I like that. I like that. Just so before I ask that question, I love that way of thinking. Hamilton Day is every day for me too, my friend. Well, absolutely. But how are you doing? We're, 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 listen, we're great. And this is, I know you've kicked off the sort of the preamble to Hamilton Day, but Saturday, what is Saturday? What is Hamilton Day? Tell us the history of it. Give us the, the rundown of what this is all about. Okay. I'm going to take us back 90, 92 years to 1931. The Great Depression is going on and the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce launches Hamilton Day to support the city and create an economic boost for the business community in the midst of the Great Depression. 2021, pandemic is in full swing. Chamber of Commerce relaunches it. And it was such a successful event that we made the decision to keep it going as as we moved out of the pandemic. So last year we hosted it again and had, had a bigger success at almost 900 businesses participating in it. So this year we said, you know what, we're going to go all out. It's It's got to be more than just the Saturday of Shop Local. Let's think about new ways that we can support our business community. Uh, 
And so we we looked at all the think great things that were going on this weekend in this community and how can we highlight how amazing Hamilton is, both the Hamiltonians and people from outside of our community and create this great opportunity to come in and celebrate Hamilton, support the local business community, shop local. But last night we kicked off with a Dwayne Gresky concert at the United Church. Uh, tonight we've got the Hamilton Day kickoff party with Sonic Runway down on Pier 8. Uh, starts at 6 o'clock tonight. It's free. Anybody can go. But if you want to go check out uh, Tommy Youngstein's Fleetwood Max and Rumors bands, that's going on at Bridgeworks starting at 8. And then, yeah, to your point, tomorrow, tomorrow's the big day, 14 markets going on all throughout the city. The uh, uh, Hamilton Road to Hope marathon is going on. We're, we're participating and in, involved in that. We've got all the BIAs involved, and it's really just a day where you can go out, explore our city, uh, support the local business community, and you know enjoy the city. And I, I love it. One of my favorite things about it, Scott, is you can go out, you can check out a neighborhood that maybe you haven't recently or uh, want to give a try. So there's there's so much to do for everybody who's looking at what's going on. You can go to hamiltonday.ca backslash schedule. But uh, all that information is there, but yeah, that's what it, this has become. And it's a full day of celebrating our community. And I, I know I'm going to be out and about all day long. You said 1931 was, did it go on for years and years and years after 31 or was it that one year? And then it stopped and came back in 2021. As far as we can tell, it just did that one, that wow. one year. And then, and then it kind of, uh, disappeared. And, uh, so how did you Keenan even stumble and, on this? How did you even find well, out about it? Again? So I can't take credit for that because I wasn't with the organization, but I know Keenan, my predecessor and Marie Nash, our CEO, uh, they, uh, they, they came across it when they were looking for a shop local campaign. They, they found this day and it, I mean, it just so, it so properly reflects, you know, what, what I love about this community. You know, we are really, uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a big city with a small town feel, right? And that's so that ability to go and uh, celebrate the community. And again, I think as you said, every day is Hamilton Day. Part of the reason I say that is because our business community, the small business community specifically, they're our neighbors, they're our friends, they're our family members. And the pandemic was tough on them, and it can the legacy impacts of that continue to be difficult. So going out and supporting the small business community is important today, but it's important all year long because those funds that you put into those businesses, they get reinvested in our community. It creates new jobs. Uh, you know, my kids both play sports. They're sponsors. Those are often small business organizations throughout this community. So it's money reinvested in our, our community. So that's why we have taken this opportunity to continue to grow it and expand on what we define as a business. Again, we're now celebrating the artists in this community as well through these, these events that we're hosting as, and the, and the great sporting events that we got going on in the city because but whatever, Greg, whatever, all businesses. whatever you're right? describing as a business, a thousand businesses being involved is a huge number. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, it's only getting bigger. Right. And I think that's, uh, I feel like, I feel like we've had, an, you know, last year's response that we brought it back was great. This year's nothing short of amazing. But the the impact and the engagement and the excitement are all off the charts. So it's how, pretty fun. How I know, how I know you, I'm excited to get out. And, and uh, although I'm feeling the effects of being out late on a Thursday night, I'm I'm getting too old for some of this stuff. But. <laughs> 
is is it are you finding that uh, clearly the businesses are all on board with this they're they're getting into this in a big way but are you finding that more people are now aware of this and are or or are you finding a lot of people coming into stores and sort of stumbling on this and seeing oh it's Hamilton today what's that no i would say i've gotten the impression this year specifically that there definitely is that that you know what i am going to make you know, I, I'm going to utilize Saturday as a part of my day. And so, like, if we look a few, like, I know for me, I've got two weekends blocked off. The Great Cup's coming. I'm going to make sure that I get out and enjoy the Great Cup festivities. I think Hamilton Day is starting to enter that uh, that level of events in our city where you your market on your calendar. You say, you know what? Let's go out again. I I I've used this anecdote a few times this week. Last year was the first year in my life I had my Christmas shopping done uh, early in November <laughs> because I went out on Hamilton Day. I checked out a few, a few stores, got my wife and kids all their presents, and uh, and was laughing. So it's a great and did so in shops and stores that I had never walked into before. So that's the great thing about it. It gives you an opportunity to explore our community and maybe see something or participate in something that you haven't done before. There you go. Greg Dunnett, a CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. I really appreciate it as always. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Have a great weekend. If you were listening yesterday, we were chatting with Tim Lywicki, who is the man behind Oakview Group, formerly the head of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. And he had been in town because his company is putting 280 million of its own dollars into rebuilding First Ontario Centre, which by the sounds of it will no longer be called First Ontario Centre. Naming rights are up for grabs now. However, that seemed like a very positive thing. No tax dollars involved, private money, no risk to taxpayers. John Paul Danko, the counselor for Ward 8, put out a tweet to that effect last night. Well, he got responses and then tweeted this few hours ago, one of the more fascinating, this is his quote, one of the more fascinating parts of Hamilton is the loud segment of people who are eternally pessimistic, hardwired to actively reject success. A $280 million investment with no tax levy impact by one of the world's top entertainment developers is a massive success. Are we hardwired, many of us, to expect failure in this city? And if so, why? Let me bring in a guy that has often referred to as Hamilton's number one booster. Uh, you know him. His name is Ron Foxcroft. Joins us now. Mr. Foxcroft, how are you? I'm doing great, and I'm very, very positive, Scott. <laughs> well, you <laughs> I are. I love the arena project. Absolutely love it. And I have, I think I have good reason to love the arena project, but I want to say, Councillor Danko, I agree with him, and, and I can feel his frustration because I spent 25 years on an airplane uh, going around the world, specifically as a referee to the United States. And, and I experienced this. Uh, I, I felt uh, around Hamilton, there were some people that were wired into being critical of everything that was uh, going to be innovative and, and uh, complex and yet I'd go to the United States and, and they would say, where are you from? And I'd say, I'm proudly from Hamilton, Ontario. And people would just immediately say, oh, what a great city. I've been there. They have the Tiger Cats. They have an airport. They have the best port in Canada. They have RBG. They have an art gallery. They have a, a restaurant scene and, and, and so on. And yet I wouldn't get the same thing. So, Councillor, 
uh, Danko is um, concerned. He's probably perplexed and he's probably frustrated. Let me tell you why I have never been so excited about anything uh, as this arena project. Number one, uh, when you hire smart people that are successful in what they do, it gives you options. And the Urban Precinct Group, headed by uh, P.J. Marcani and Joe Marcani, and an amazing team that are highly successful in the hospitality industry. And, Scott, the hospitality industry is a very difficult, complex industry, and it's a very difficult industry to be successful. The Urban Precinct Group of P.J. and Joe and, and the entire team up there, it's, a, it's an amazing team, have been successful in the hospitality industry. And, and I don't know of any industry that's harder to be successful in other than maybe trucking. Huh. Secondly, they have partnered with the Oakville Group. Oh, I think it's called OVG yes. Group. Yep. And these people are world famous in uh, arena and hospitality and stadium development. And and we all know the controversy behind Tim Hortons Field and the location and so on and so on. But let me tell you this, Scott, from an economic point of view, Tim Hortons Field, Tim Hortons Stadium, uh, partly because it's greatly managed by the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Hamilton Sports Group, is one of the busiest, most successful, most economically successful stadiums in North America. And and yet, uh, I guess, you know, some people rightly didn't like the location because of parking and, and congestion. But let me just tell you something. I've recently been to a stadium in Miami, a stadium in Arizona, a stadium in Texas, and, uh, you know, supposedly the best in the world. But the the parking for my game in, in Miami, it was a mile and a half away, and I paid $100 for it. And in Hamilton, uh, you're not going to pay $100. You're going to pay $20, maybe $10. And, uh, you know, it, it may be uh, just slightly complicated to find a parking spot. So this project with the world-class managers of uh, Urban Precinct, Marcanti's, and the uh, Oakville Group, I'll tell you, we should have many reasons to be optimistic. Okay. However, okay. but we don't, also, but we don't. And this is, the, this is what I want to get to is why. Yeah. So, so you, I, I listen, I, I, I wanted to hear you because you're making great points about why we should on this one and other things, we should be more optimistic. I think about a lot of things, but I, I agree with counselor Danko that we tend to be almost living in an expectation that if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And where does that come from? Or do you not agree with that? You know, it's not just a Hamilton thing. It's some Canadians. And I'm going to specifically give you an example. Uh, Scott, when we did the whistle, uh, which is now 30 plus years ago, everyone said to me, it's a dumb idea and you should go to, uh, you know, get, get medication and so on. We sold whistles in 35 countries before we sold one whistle in Canada. And the person that was most negative about the, the invention 
refused to buy even one whistle, and then he read about it in Sports Illustrated, and he said to me, well, the Americans think it's great. It must be great. I want 2,000 whistles for my institution. So we're, we're kind of uh, wired, as you correctly said, that profit is, is seen by some negative people as being a naughty thing. In some countries, profit, they build statues for people like the Marcantis that, that make a profit. And we're wired in such a way that if you make a profit, some, some people, not everybody, seen it that you're doing something naughty in order to make a profit. And a profit is a good thing because when you make a profit, you're not necessarily going out buying sailboats in the Caribbean. You're investing in HR development, HR technology, IT technology, making donations to charities and not-for-profits. So we have many reasons to be excited about this downtown project, and we need to stop being wired to be negative and to be a critic. There's Ron Foxcroft, as I say, known as Hamilton's number one booster. You can understand why if you'd never heard him speak before. And I can't imagine that there is anybody who hasn't heard Ron Foxcroft speak before, but uh, appreciate you doing this today. Thank you for taking time. Always a pleasure, Scott. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com.